Hi, and welcome to Hairstylist Rising. This episode is sponsored by my program, The Perfect Post. If you are listening on the day that it is released, which is November 8th, 2020, you have 24 hours to get the program over half off and get some really amazing bonuses. So if you are wanting to get more clients in your chair, more dollars in your bank account, and you want to do it using Instagram, definitely check it out. Welcome to Hairstylist Rising Podcast. Together, we are going to dive deep into mindset, marketing, and finding fulfillment in this beautiful industry. I'm your host, Jody Brown, and I am a hairstylist veteran turned online entrepreneur and mindful marketing mentor just for beauty pros. No topic is off limits. We are going to pull back the curtain and discover the success secrets of hairstylists that are rising. All right. I am here today with Nick Arojo. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Nick. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Looking forward to chatting and connecting and sharing. Yeah, I can't wait to hear because I know that we see a lot of where you are now, which is obviously hugely inspiring to a lot of stylists, but I am so curious. I want to dive right in and just talk a little bit about where it all started. So like where, where did your career start? I know you're from Manchester. Is that where you started yep. doing hair or were you already in New York? How did, what did that look like? Uh, I think I'm celebrating about 39 years in the industry. Uh, I started uh, hairdressing uh, when I left school. Uh, so I was 16 years of age when I got my first job as an apprentice in a local hair salon, which was in a suburb of uh, Manchester, England, like a big town on the outside of Manchester. I started, it was the nicest looking salon. And um, I fell in love with hairdressing from the get-go. I mean, I think for me, I was always looking for a job that was more creative mm -hmm. and less, um, you know, less boilerplate. You know, I didn't really see myself behind a desk. So for me to be creative, to do something that was fun with music mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, fashion, it was the job for me. And, uh, and I've been doing it for a long time now. Oh, that is so amazing. I know it's kind of, that's how I got into it. I was like, how can I do art and get paid? And I saw my mom yep. and I saw people like yourself and it was like, just, there's so much possibility in the industry. So, um, all right. So you have accomplished a lot in your career. That's 39 years sounds like a long time, but it's not for all the things that you've managed to do in that time. Um, so yep. what was the turning point, I guess, for you? Because I know a lot of people coming in into the industry are like, you know, we're behind the chair and you're starting to, you're starting to work and do hair. Um, what was the point that you were like, okay, this is, I'm going to pursue that, like that celebrity stylist path or that salon owner path? What, when was that moment? Well, I never really had any ideas like that. The only ideas that I had was uh, when I started working, uh, in my salon, the first thing I knew I needed to be around the people that could give me the best education. So for me, the number one focus was to get the right type of training. I managed to get to work for Vidal Sassoon and that's where they trained me. And my eyes were opened up by a lot of things working for Vidal Sassoon. It was a, uh, not a typical hair salon because it was a global company. So we had co-workers that were from New York, co-workers that were from all over America, and co-workers that were from all over England. So we had salons in Manchester, in Scotland, in Leeds, 
in Birmingham, in London. So there was so much diversity and fun. I spent the first 10 years of my career in that great company. Then when I left uh, Sassoon, it was like, okay, what's next? And I was searching for the next juncture or the next um, pathway for me to, to, to develop my career even further. And uh, I'm a firm believer that you have to dream about what you want and then you have to, at least you know what you can, if you can dream about what you want, then you know what you're working towards. So for me, I always wanted to move to America. I always wanted to be a hairdresser in the States. I always was always fascinated by New York City. And uh, my dream came true. After I left Vidal Sassoon, I, I moved to London and I worked in London for a few years. And then uh, the dream job that I'd always hoped that I would get came to me when I was in my, uh, when I was 27. I moved to New York when I was 28 to work for Bumble. So I was working for a dream company and I was in my dream place. And you know, if history kind of had served me well, I thought, well, I'm gonna be at Bumble and Bumble for a long time because I was at Sassoon for a long time. But I was also, you know, moving into that next place of my life where I'm in my early 30s. And I'm thinking about what, does, what is the future? And is the future really to, to, to stay with a brand or is the future to try and push on? And uh, for me, you know, when I moved to America, I got to hear a lot about this American dream. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I decided that I would take a shot and see if I could maybe make my own salon or make my own mark in the, in the, uh, in the country and in the city. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like your intention gets you to doorways and then you can walk through those doorways to see, you know, what's on the other side. And of course, that's what I've been doing. And one path led to another, led to another. I went from being a partnership business to being an independent, running a business on my own. You know, I dreamt about having a school one day. I got my school. I dreamt about having my own products one day. I got my own products. I dreamt about building up, you know, a strong core brand in New York City. Uh, and that's what I've done. And then, you know... <laughs> And then you get Corona comes and smashes you in the face and uh, we'll see what, what the future brings from there. Yeah. This is like, I always say in life, you have good luck and you have uh, not so much good luck. Totally. So when it's going well, enjoy it and don't get too cocky. And when it's not going well, try to stay positive and, and keep working, try and push through it, which is obviously where a lot of people are today okay. with the uh, global pandemic that has changed pretty much uh, the landscape for all of us. Absolutely. And you guys got hit pretty hard. I'm in Western Canada. So we were shut down for a little bit, but I don't think anywhere near as much as long as you guys. And uh, so what did that look like? I, I mean, that's kind of, that's, I think, something that we all are thinking about and talking about. And I know a lot of stylists, salon owners have gotten hit really, really hard. Um, so how has that affected you and your business? Well, we were closed for three and a half months. So when you close your business for three and a half months, New York's and also we're in the epicenter of the vi of the pandemic here yeah. in New York. So you're in the epicenter where you've got a major contraction of spread mm -hmm. and a lot of death. Yeah. And, uh, and then a lot of people, New York's a transient place. It's not like there's not that many people that are born and grow up in New York and stay in New York. It's filled with a lot of people that move to New York because that's where they want to be at the top of their game mm -hmm. in New York City. So you have this perfect storm, really. Once you're forced to be closed for three and a half months, it's almost virtually impossible to keep the strength in the team 
uh, and a lot of people, you know, it was a reflection point. If you're, if you're forced out for three and a half months, you have a reflection point and you kind of start to think maybe I can, especially in the way the world's turning today, you can go independent, you can become autonomous, um, you've got all of this time to think. And when we got back to actually reopening, you know, it was very difficult from the sheer cost standpoint. And then, of course, we had a massive, you know, loss of the team. So those two, two double factors were like the perfect storm. But what made, makes it even harder is um, New York's very expensive. And when you live in New York, you get a very small apartment. Because really being in New York City is about uh, being out and enjoying the city and being in work and, you know, living a fast life. Okay. And um, unfortunately, you know, today we're looking at less than 10% of the workforce are actually in New York City. And if you're renting an apartment uh, and you've got uh, $3,000, $4,000 rent mm -hmm. and uh, you're living in a 500, 600, 700 square foot apartment, you know, and you don't have to go to work, yeah. what do you do? You go out to the country or you move out of the city because for the next year, no one's going to be here. And then the restaurants have been closed and Broadway's closed, entertainment's closed, all entertainment's closed, the hotel business is closed. Wow. So right now, um, I think we've been as damaged as you could get. Now, you never want to say you don't need to get worse. You couldn't be any worse because it probably can be worse. Mm -hmm but it's probably about as difficult as it could be. We, um, the population has shrunk. It's the best time in the, in the world to rent an apartment in New York City, but not many people are gonna be coming into New York City because uh, A, um, the virus is on the rise. That's yeah. what everyone's talking about. So there's more cases. B, they don't want too many people coming into New York and the quarantine laws when you travel. So that's also changed our business. So it's really new territory, new ground, and uh, it's not in our control. So unfortunately, we're just doing the very best that we can. And let's see where we end up on, you know, let's see where we end up next year. Yes. Let's see where we end up on the other side of whatever the other side is. Because I don't really think that this is going to go away. This is going to be more of a fade um, if we're lucky. It'll yes. be a fade. So we'll slowly start to come to terms with the fact that yeah, we'll have a vaccine, some people will take it and some people won't. Uh, we'll come to terms with the fact that maybe it's not such a, a devastating killer um, as it once was because we're better at managing it. Um, and maybe people's confidence will be that we can get out and about more. You know, right now we're looking at 25% capacity in restaurants. You know, it's very hard to find a place to go and get a drink after 10 o'clock here in New York. Wow. Very, very difficult. So the landscape, when it used to be a 24-7 town That's the landscape's changed radically yeah. and uh, it got, kind of goes to sleep around about 10 10 15 10 30 so it's wow. not anything like what we had before and far as the clients go you know you've got all your clients have moved out clients have moved away uh, every day someone's telling me they're leaving new york so every time i do a client i'm like saying okay i'm losing another I'm losing another so we're just gonna have to you know dig in and see uh, see where we um, where we end up as we navigate through this difficult time. Yeah, I think it's interesting too because like so many people are having to like we hear a lot about um, pivoting, right? That's like the number one word right now. So, um, like, do you have any advice for like hairstylists? And I know that you've been 
like vocal about your opinions, which I think is awesome. I think we need to have more people speaking about this kind of thing. But so do you have any, if you were to give like one piece of advice as we navigate through this for the industry, do you have something that you, that you would say like, or do you think it's too big of an issue to take? No, I, I, I think there's a great chance now for hairdressers to pick up clients. Not only are clients leaving, hairdressers are leaving. Salons are closing. Do great work, promote yourself. I think, you know, an individual stylist, you know, your goal is very simple. You've got to get five new clients a week. Mm -hmm. So whatever you're doing, just focus on the five new. Yeah. Focus on, you know, making sure that you treat your clients well. People, you know, for a lot of people coming to the hair salon, it's nice because it, it's like a little bit of normalcy for them. Yes. It's like, oh, I'm back in, I'm back here. It feels so, people, I get clients come to me and they say, oh, I'm so happy you're open and it's great to have a normalcy back and I'm so thrilled you can open up your business. And mm -hmm. They like that normalcy. So I think that if you can maximize that potential and let them know you're taking new clients and you'd like some referrals, that's what I would suggest because ultimately at the end of the day, we go to work to make money. Yeah. And if you're, uh, if, if you're not building your business, you're not making money. And as you go through your life, you've got to focus on building your business. And this is very difficult today. But at the end of the day, if you are a stylist, uh, your only responsibility is um, to do great work, um, you know, be a pr true consummate professional, and, uh, and, and win. I love and win, that. win, win. Someone's calling me, so I'm just going to shut them off like this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I think that's great advice. Um, so have you ever, so I want to just shift back a little bit to, you have a lot of irons in the fire. So you've mm -hmm. got product lines, um, school salons. Is any, is there anything that you would consider like your main passion project? Like what part of your business makes you feel the most inspired? Well, that's a difficult question, you know, I mean, because I've got so many hats. You know, that's, uh, you know, so there's so many different hats. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, what do I like the most? What did I miss the most when I was uh, sat there not being able to do clients? I miss doing hair. Right. So the most special thing to me is uh, being able to do hair and make somebody look and feel great. You know, I just did a client right now on my Facebook Live and, um, you know, she was emphatically thrilled with her experience. And, you know, and it, there's nothing better, you know, this is the beauty business. So whether you're looking at a man or a woman and you're trying to make them look better or feel better about how they look, there's nothing better when you accomplish that. And also from a creative standpoint, if you can not only accomplish that, but also feels uh, that you did a good job. Yeah. yeah? You got to focus on, did you do a good job? You know, we don't want thing the person may like it, but were you proud of your work? So to me, that's, the, that's what I got into the industry for. It's what I still love. Uh, unfortunately, it's a lot harder because, um, you know, they, they talk about right brain, left brain, creative side, business side. You know, I've got to, I've got to be down the middle. I'm negotiating leases. I'm negotiating managing a business, a multi-million dollar business. I'm negotiating with the state education department or dealing with the state education department, accreditation for the schools. Uh, I'm dealing with the toughest thing in the world to deal with. That's people, employees, employment. They're very difficult. Everyone's got a you know, new challenge on a daily basis. Um, so trying to stay creative is, um, is, is, you know, it's not hard to be creative in the brain. 
but it's when you have to be creative with somebody's hair. You know, sometimes you, your mind's thinking about so many other things, you've got distractions. So it's a bit like why you're not supposed to be texting when you're driving because you don't want to have a distraction because you got to keep your eye on the road. Yes, yeah, so when you're doing a haircut, you want to keep your eye on the hair and the shape or the color. But if you're thinking about, you know, the, the attorney or the accountant or the bill that just came in or the, the employee that just quit or the challenge that you have, someone's upset about something, these things can distract you. So, uh, you know, just try and keep your eye on the prize. For me, I got into hairdressing to do hair and, uh, and I still want to continue to do hair and I, uh, I enjoy that aspect the most. I think that's going to be so inspiring for young, especially like younger stylists coming into the industry that after like all of this time and after, you know, all of the changes in your career, that that's still your favorite thing. Cause I think so many of the time we're like, okay, what's next? Like, what do I have to do to get next? And just like going back down to the fact that it's about doing hair and making people feel great. And I love that. Um, Thanks. Yeah, that is, that's such a great piece of advice. So do you have a favorite, I, I just want to know this personally, like, do you have a favorite thing to do behind the chair? Well, I love razor cutting. That's my favorite, yeah. you know, it's kind <laughs> of like my signature. Uh, I think it's more fluid than scissor cutting, but you know, I love scissor cutting too. Again, these are different applications of the brain. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when you do something a lot, you kind of get comfortable with it. So then it's always good to, to change what you do. Switch it up. You know, challenge yourself a little bit. You know, it's like if you have your favorite dish or your favorite bottle of wine or your favorite uh, movie to watch, there comes a point where you're like, okay, I've done that so many times. Now I need to try and get something else. I can still go back to my favorite, but it's nice to experiment. So I also think that's important. Change your techniques up, especially when you've been in this industry for a long time. You know, when you're young, you just teach what you've been taught. And you just teach what you've been taught and it's like your voice, but it was somebody else that told you that. Mm -hmm. And then as you kind of go through your journey, start to listen to yourself and start to think about not repeating what maybe someone's told you, but start to think about uh, connecting with what you believe, what you feel is the right thing. And, you know, today everyone goes so, so quickly. One of the benefits for me is I've had you know, many, many years, different decades and different countries have experience. So that, that level of experience, that depth of experience helps me. Mm -hmm. Today, we're so, we're so connected with social media and Instagram and all of those types of, you know, tools. And people become sensations overnight. And it's like their followers and their this. And we're putting a lot of value on, um, a lot of value on you know kind of exposure but yeah. really the value should be on quality true quality to that hits the um that, that hits the mark mm -hmm. you know uh, it's not about as, as many eyeballs i don't believe because even if you look at like this new york this american election yeah and i you know i'm not going to talk politics but i'm going to say that in the political fight you have certain sides of the government spending a lot more money on advertisement Mm -hmm. to get a result, to influence a result. And one of the things that's been really crystal clear as we're listening and navigating through this uh, election mm -hmm. is that where the money was spent on advertising, it didn't really have the anticipated effect. So I think it's not about necessarily exposure, mm -hmm. but it's more about, and exposure is good, but yeah. it's more about 
quality and what that person or, you know, what you can actually, you know, share or give to the community, which makes you kind of an asset. And thankfully, I've been around a long time, so hopefully I've got a lot of experience to share. Absolutely. And I think that's the key, though. I think it's that, that quality is what's going to give the longevity because exposure can be great. But if it's like if, if there's only a limited amount that you're able to give, then that exposure is not going to stick around forever. Whereas if you're delivering value and you're delivering that quality, that exposure is great, but you're going to have the longevity that's going to give like make you able to give to the industry for longer, which I love. I mean, at the end of the day, I was supposed to be given to the industry. You know, I think what we're supposed to be doing is, um, you know, having a great time and a great career and, a, you know, giving, um, you know, it's really good to share. Mm -hmm. It's really good to give because when you give, you receive, you know, I mean, the industry's changed so much. People come out of school and they just want to go straight to behind the chair. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then it, is it really good when you're spending a lot of money to train someone who's going to leave you as soon as they've got all your knowledge? Because right. loyalty in today's world is very, uh, it's very hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't guarantee loyalty. No. You know, I've had so many people tell me, I love it, Nick. I want to work with you. I'm going to be here. And then the week after they've gone, you know. Really? So I do think that the most important thing is go to work every day with a positive attitude. Mm -hmm. uh, be positive to your coworkers. Be kind. Nurture as much as you can. Have an opinion. Mm -hmm. It's important to have an opinion, set some standards for yourself, try and have people hold up, uphold those standards. It all depends what kind of environment you're in. Are you an independent hairdresser on your own? Are you working in a salon? Are you renting a chair in an environment? You know, what are you traveling around on your own? It all depends what you're doing and, and, and how your, me your mechanisms are. But I think if there's anything, just try and hold up. If there's anything we can give to the industry, be proud of being a hairdresser. And, uh, and do your best to uphold good core quality values. Because one of the things that we've all witnessed in this pandemic, mm -hmm. which was crystal clear to me day one, because I'd never heard the word social distancing. And as soon as they said, now we're gonna go into social distancing, I said, well, my career is really gonna take a pounding yeah. because we live you know, on touch yeah. and we don't live on space. So while we have navigated through this and we continue to, navigate through this environment you know um hopefully we'll get to the other side of it and, and do better but you know social distancing obviously is a difficult thing for hairdressers Absolutely. to be successful with and also we got to deal with this and we got to deal with this yes i feel like i'm going into the uh, operating room totally when i go to do my haircut and then my glasses fog up and i'm like what am i doing here <laughs> yeah it's we, not easy. we soldier on yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, don't you think it's interesting, though, that like, I know that this is something um, that they were talking about is in such a high touch industry as hair, the transmission rates like non-existent, because I think it's because we're so used to practicing those like, hygienic um, practices, like we're so used to doing all that anyway, that it's, we're able to continue not normally, but like, at least able to continue without fearing too much of a spread in the salon. Well, the salon's a clean space, it should be. You know, of course I walk around some places and you see some dingy looking places, these don't look so great. But I don't believe that the salon is a super spreader, period. No, I don't. And I think because we have to wear this and the client has to wear this, yeah? And if we wear this, we can't touch our eyes 
and yep. we can't get any droplets in our eyes. So I think at this stage, and we wash our hands and we've always got hands in water. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, and we care about our clients, you know, we don't want to be contagious or nor do we want to, I mean, we're the people on the front line used to get the cold every week because guess what? Your client will come in with a sniff or you cut their hair and then all of a sudden you're covered in their germs. Mm -hmm. So we were always on the front line. We weren't the spreaders, but we were the receivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So today, you know, thankfully we're back in work and we're doing the best that we can. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we'll succeed, especially for the salon owners that have been hit a lot. Yes. But I don't believe that, you know, transmission happens if you're both wearing masks and you're cleaning your hands and, you know, they make stuff up about this virus mm -hmm. on a monthly basis. Yeah, for sure. You don't need to wear a mask, you need to wear a mask. You can get it from the floor, you can get it from the ceiling, you get it from the sink, you can touch yeah. it here, it flies through the air. You know, so they're even navigating through. But thankfully, I don't believe that salons, and I fought for salons, but one of the things that I was saying is we never had much of a voice. No. You know, through this whole thing, they don't really look at the hair business and say, wow, we got to keep the hair industry open. As my hat says, what does it say? Oh, non-essential. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm officially non-essential. Isn't that wild, too? It's like, and it, I, I think what you said, too, about like that being able to uplift and being such a positive force for your clients and everything, like just, it, it, yeah, it's interesting how it was so downplayed, I think, during the whole thing. So it's good that we have people like yourself, you know, speaking up on that topic because... Yeah, what well, we have a lot. More, we have a lot more to do, and I think the fear is: are we going to go into another lockdown? Yeah, and will we be in a lockdown for Christmas? You know, and that's the reality. A lockdown can happen like in a snap. Real it can down. shut us down at any moment in time, and uh, you know, it's a different world we're living in now. And the best time of the year to be a hairdresser is the holidays, and who knows what the future is going to bring. So, we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed. But while we're keeping our fingers crossed, I think we do have to navigate so that we can have a stronger voice. And I did a lot of study and I did a lot of, uh, uh, I suppose I was quite vocal about not having much of a voice for, our, for the industry. You know, the, the, the restaurant industry and the, and the uh, entertainment industry, they are major lobbyists. Yeah. And I spoke to the, I spoke to the uh, organizations in America that represent us. And, you know, I think we've got to, become a stronger voice. There's not enough associations, yeah? There's a lot of things that will tell us what to do, but there's nobody telling and defending us, not enough people defending our profession and taking it to Washington, yeah? Because I think that uh, that's an area that maybe has, has been exposed that we could strengthen. So that's something, again, it's not, my, it's not necessarily it's my fight, but it's something that I would like to definitively uh, help to uh, create a stronger uh, voice for our industry as I continue on in this, in this, in this, in this great trade. Yeah. And I love that because as someone who has, you know, multi-million dollar business in the hair industry, like that's, that's who, if anyone, they're going to listen to as advocates for, for the industry and for us as a whole. So you'd, you'd, be su you'd be surprised. I've been audited three times. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Yeah. When you grow your business, as soon as you start making money, they're there to come and get you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, you know, the, what you go through, because as you do build a business and as you do, um, you know, you generate more money and, and all of a sudden uh, you're doing well. And then all of a sudden, you know, people start getting involved because the more money you got, the more money people can 
can take. I saw a mental shift when I expanded my business, both internally and externally, yeah. from the clients outside to the staff inside. People always think if you grow, you know, you're making loads, but it's not necessarily the case. No. You know, but the mentality changes, and we are living in such a, uh, you know, unique environment here in New York City and in America. You know, it's uh, got a different set of principles and rules at times. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I have one last question for you. And that is, as someone who's been, you know, in the industry for decades, what's the biggest positive shift you've seen? Like, what's the big, what's the biggest thing that you're like, oh, I'm so glad to have seen that in my time in the industry? That's a great question. I think I would probably say um, the technology right. yeah, has made such a massive impact that it truly makes a hairdresser become someone that can be very autonomous. And that autonomy creates freedom. Yes. So, you know, let's just think about how, what those changes are, number one. Um, I can put a video of a haircut I did online mm -hmm. uh, within 20 minutes of finishing the haircut. I can edit it, mm -hmm. add music, create effects, and put it out, and an audience can see it that can promote me. Now, if I go back to, nine, to the 80s, if I took a picture, I would have to send it away to get developed. I would get a contact sheet. If I made a video, I would have to send it away. Video editing software would, was, you know, I couldn't, we didn't have that. It was, it just didn't exist. But you could make a small, short movie, yeah. but then you'd have to edit it again. So technology's really changed. And also when I started in the hair business, there was no computers for appointments. Yeah, there was no raw data like that. Yeah. Used to have six weeks at Vidal soon, all on massive big square pieces of cards. So there'd be wow. six big slots at the desk and they'd pull a card out for the day you book the appointment, yeah. you know? And I used to like it, you could call somebody up and you could get to talk to somebody, whereas today you can't even talk to anybody because everything's done digitally. <laughs> so true. some positives become negatives. Yeah. But I think that, you know, the technology, being able to book appointments on your phone, being able to take cash on your phone, being able to promote on your phone, being able to sell on your, on your, it's not even a phone, we still call it a phone because I'm old fashioned, because yeah. you know, I'm old. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a digital device that is, uh, you know, personal assistant and it, yeah. and it does so much for us. And I think that, it, you know, if I was just focusing on me, with the technology that exists today, I think I would, I would, I would be doing really, really well. You know, now I'm very happy with what I've done and what I've built because I built my infrastructure. Yeah. But I do think, as an indi individual hairdresser today, you've got all the tools in your hand that you can do so much to help promote and build yourself. <laughs> Quite frankly, there's so many people that don't do it enough. Yeah. yeah, and just put a post out. Uh, that's not gonna. Uh, it's a start, mm -hmm. but you've got to be religious, relentless. You got to mm -hmm. focus on. If I'm gonna build my brand. I got to build my network. And this device that I'm talking on right now, you know, look at that. I can talk to people all over the country. I can have group chats, group convers group conversations. I can teach digitally. I mean, it's been really good to see the technology of our industry. Um, become a game changer because it was only the big businesses that could afford this stuff early in the in the early years. But today, you know, we're all on the same playing field because as long as we've got this device here, 
we can do all of the same things. So I'm going to put my thumbs up to technology. It's been a real joy to see evolve. And I think it's really helped our, our, our industry and it's helped hairdressers, you know, globally. Well, yeah, I mean, 15 years ago when I started in the industry, I never thought that I'd be able to reach out to you <laughs> and have a conversation, right? So even in the past, like, 10 years, it's been, it's been a game changer. So I love that that is, that's your positive shift. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I hope it was uh, worthwhile. I hope people, if they listen, they get something from it. Yes, and um, if you're ever passing through New York, you know where to come and say hi. I'll be right here. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hairstylist Rising podcast. Make sure to head to iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast and leave a rating and review. Have a wonderful day.